Uh, Galatians 5, we'll begin there in verse 22 and 23. And then we'll also look at Psalm 107, uh, 15 through verse number 21. Let's read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 together as we're going through the fruits of the Spirit. And then we'll uh, read Psalm 107, uh, 15 through 21 responsibly. Galatians 5, 22. Ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Psalm 107 in your Bibles. Psalm 107. We're going to focus in on that word goodness this morning. We're going to look at the goodness of God and how that relates to the Christian. Verse 15 down through verse 21, we will, I'll tell you what, let's begin together with verse 15 and then we'll read the odd numbered verses together. Ready? Psalm 107, 15 together. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron and sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth the manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Together, verse 21, we'll finish here. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We're in our series, Producing Through the Spirit, as we're covering the theme rooted in Christ this year. The Spirit of God producing His fruit in us and through us to others. Today we're going to look at the goodness of God. The title of the message is this, Giving and Growing in the Goodness of God. Giving and Growing in the Goodness of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you'd help us as we look at your goodness. Sometimes we lose focus of it. We get focused on the the evil in the world, the pain and hurt of the world, and we forget just how good you are. We forget we forget how uh, you you put off goodness in every way and all of the good things that are in our life. And so, Lord, today as we're reminded of that, help us not just to be thankful of your goodness, but Lord, to go out and practice your goodness and allow your goodness to channel through us and onto others in this world that is so broken and needy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, David was the one who wrote Psalm 107, to the best of my knowledge. And David, my mic is still not on, Brother Joe. I guess I'll just hang behind the pulpit. Okay, it's not working. David was um, uh, the author of uh, uh, Psalm 107, most likely. And David um, was an Israelite. What a rich heritage the Israelites had at this point. And God had truly shown his goodness to Israel in such an abundant way. In fact, uh, Israel is one of the probably the only country that can look back over their shoulders and have such a lengthy heritage of thousands and thousands of years of seeing how God showed his goodness on them as a nation, as a nation. 
You all know the story, right? They're in slavery in Egypt. They're, they've put themselves in bondage. They traveled uh, to to Egypt and uh, uh, to, to, to meet up with Joseph. And they, they began to have children there. And then they were enslaved and, and put there. And God sent, in his goodness, God sent baby Moses. And you know the story. Moses is placed in a bassinet. And uh, he floats down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter sees him there. And uh, Moses should have been killed. The edict from Pharaoh is given that all the male Israelite babies be thrown in the river and drowned. But uh, this one uh, had a mom who stood up for him and and didn't allow that to happen. And Pharaoh uh, uh, went down into the uh, river and drew out little Moses and held him and said, Dad, he's so cute. He's so innocent. He's so uh, 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 handsome. Can I keep him? And God moved in the heart of Pharaoh and the goodness of God shone forth in a time of slavery and great hurt and great sorrow. And, and Moses was allowed to grow up in Pharaoh's palace. And what happened next was that he would grow into a mighty man and he would leave behind the joys in the, uh, of, of, of Egypt and he would uh, suffer with the affliction of his people, as Proverbs 11, or rather Hebrews 11 tells us. And then he would rise up in his anger and he would slay an Egyptian man who is hard hitting against the, uh, the Israelites there and then flee uh, for 40 years on the backside of the desert only to come back uh, after having been trained to be a shepherd and a loving leader, and he would lead the Israelites out of bondage. He would lead them through the desert, and after 40 years of leading them through the desert, he would raise up the next generation to be ready to go into the promised land. God many times wanted to drop his wrath on them and did not, and many times wanted to destroy them because of their evil, but he did not. And and what happened next was that God would lead them into the promised land, would give them victory in that promised land, and allow them to establish themselves as a nation for many, many thousands of years. God, uh, can you can look through history. Please don't miss this. You can look through history, and while you can see a lot of evil and the handiwork of Satan present, you can see the greater hand of good present throughout the history of the world. And while evil has prevailed, God's goodness has prevailed greater than the evil. There have been times where people have lost perspective of the goodness of God. There have been times where people have been so embittered by the evil around them that they lose sight of the goodness of God. But let me remind you of something. Satan is the author of evil and God is the author of good. And in the end, good always wins. Good always wins. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who developed and created the languages of the world. Who did? God did. Who created the English language? God did. God did. Do you know that in many of our schools around the world, around the country rather, they are not, especially when you get into the upper grades, late middle school, late elementary, middle school, high school, they're beginning to not teach, especially in the more liberal sections of America, they're beginning to not as much teach grammar. You know why? Because grammar is structure. Grammar shows that language has order to it. And where there is order, there is God. Where there is disorder, there is no God. You ever stopped and looked at the word good and the word evil? The word good and the word evil? Good 
is one letter away from being God. Evil is one letter away from being devil. You think that's an accident? I don't think that's an accident. You're one letter away removed from God and devil. God is good. You say, well, if God is so good, then why? Well, hold on. Why doesn't he? Why did he? Why did he allow? Hold on. God is always, every time, without exception, in every situation, good. You say, well, what about this great, horrible thing that happened in my life? Satan is always, every time, without exception, evil. Always. So if something bad is happening in your life or the life of someone that you love dearly, who should we blame? Should we blame God? Oh, no, we should not blame God. We should blame the devil. The devil... Gets a whole lot of credit for what God does. And God gets a whole lot of blame for what Satan does. I see a lot of people when things don't go their way. They run off and they just divulge their life in sin. And they become hardened. And they refuse to go to church. And uh, they become nasty. And they become hateful. And, uh, and, and you stop them and you say, well, what's the issue? And, and they say, well... Well, this bad thing happened in my life and it's God's fault. And I say, it's never God's fault when something bad happens. You see, one day God's going to come back and he's going to take Satan and throw him in hell. God's going to come back and he's going to destroy evil off the planet. He's going to reverse the sin nature on this planet. And then in time, he's going to destroy this planet and create a new heaven and earth. And there will be no more evil. It'll all be gone. And so if there's something bad that's happening, why are you blaming God? James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. You know what that means? That means he's always good. He's never going to change from being good. Neither, uh, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. They're not, there's not even a shadow. There's not even a slight tick away from that, uh, uh, that, that, that God who never changes, that God who is always good. And we look at God and he is a good God. He is always good. I propose that the goodness of God is present all around us. It is present all around us, even in this broken and sinful and downtrodden world. We must learn to recognize it. We must learn to be thankful for it. And we must learn to share it with our fellow human, our fellow man and woman. Goodness is a fruit of the spirit that is to be developed in our lives and given to others around us. Can I tell you that being good to people is not natural? It is not natural. Now, it is natural to be good to someone who's good to you. But it is not natural to be good to someone who is evil to you. It's natural to return evil for evil. That's why we have to be told several times in the New Testament 
to turn the other cheek. To not render, render evil for evil unto any man, but to ever follow that which is good in the sight of God and man. We are to show others the goodness of God. Yesterday, I went out uh, door knocking, soul winning with Brother John Sanchez and my son Matthew. And we, uh, uh, by the way, I, I would really encourage you to come out on Saturdays. You, you, you see some crazy stuff happen. On Saturdays and some bizarre things. And can I tell you that Stratford is filled with a bunch of crazy people? Some of you are here right now. Um, you say, I'm from Milford. Milford's got them too, all right? Um, uh, something in the water. But uh, uh, we, were, um, we were out yesterday and knocking on the uh, doors of uh, people. And we came across uh, a lady uh, who had a sign on her porch and the sign uh, had a bunch, it was like a collage of words. And they're all, they're all modern day buzzwords. Love, acceptance, tolerance, um, diversity. Listen, I, there, in some ways I'm for every one of those words. And this lady came out on the porch and we had a really, we had a, we really did. We had a good conversation with her. She was very kind and caring. And one thing that we tried to help her to see is that uh, tolerating, being tolerant towards someone does not mean that you have to full-blown accept everything in their life. You, you can be kind to someone without saying, I accept every aspect of your life. And uh, we talked about love and what love was. And one thing I made clear to her was that if you come into the doors of White Oak Baptist Church and you are a raging alcoholic... We are going to love you, but we are not going to love your alcoholism. But we are going to try to love you through your alcoholism. No one ought to pick up a stone and throw it at someone and say, Yo, you're no, good for nothing, drunk. No, we, we need to be there to support them and help them. Now, the same thing goes for any other sin. Any other sin, including all this LGBT stuff. Someone comes in the door. We don't have to acquiesce and say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, that's not wrong. Well, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. But we're to love them where they are. We're to love them where they are. Um, let me draw up this scenario because I believe the day is coming where this happens. A lesbian couple walks to the doors of our church. Sits on the pew. How would you treat them? How would you treat them? Handshake time. It's obvious they're a couple. You going to walk up and shake their hand? You be nice to them? They're not welcome in our church. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. It's not our job to judge them. It's our job to love them. Now, loving them does not mean that we, hey, say, hey, we're having a married couples conference next month. Come on. Okay, That, that doesn't mean that we endorse their sin. But we love them in their sin. Everybody with me this morning? We show them the goodness of God. We show them the goodness of God. I'm going to show you some things about the goodness of God this morning uh, that are quite powerful. And if we will live in it and we will allow God to channel it through us onto others, some powerful things happen. But I want to establish the baseline in the beginning of the sermon that God is always good. 
If something evil happens in your life, don't you put that on God. He said, well, God created Satan. Yes, he did. But God did not want Satan to rebel and run to evil. Satan did that on his own. So don't you put that on God. Let's look at five thoughts this morning about God's goodness as we consider this truth of giving and growing, giving and growing in the goodness of God. If you have your bulletin there on the back, I encourage you to fill in the blanks as we go. Notice number one, the creator of goodness, the creator of goodness. Look back at Psalm 107 and look at verse number 22. It says, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works, God's works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Um, this past week, I had to um, uh, jump on the Long Island Ferry and run over to Long Island to pick up something for the church and come back. And I've lived here a little over three years. That was my first time ever taking the Long Island Ferry. How many of you ever have taken that ride? You've done that at some point. It was great because on the way back, uh, the water was almost, almost a sea of glass and the sun was going down over the water. And so I stood there in the window on the lower lot where the cars are parked, and I just stared at nature. And you know what I saw? I saw that God is good. I saw that God was good. Those that are out on ships in the water, they get to see the power of God. They get to see the grace of God. Uh, they get to see the handiwork of God. Uh, uh, they, they see the, the, the wrath of God at times when the storms rage. Uh, they see the gentleness of God when the sea is just as calm as glass. Who created good? God did. And it isn't just that he created. Created, it's who he is. Look at Psalm 143, verse 10. Psalm 143, verse 10. I'm going to show you something this morning uh, here in just a moment that I think will, will really open your eyes to just another, enhance on an even greater level. Take it to another dimension, this idea of goodness. Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. If you mark in your Bible, would you underline that phrase? Thy spirit is good. Lead me in the hand of uprightness. You ever been around somebody and you walk away from them and you just feel warm inside and you say to yourself, that is a good person. You ever felt that way? That is a good person. Boy, they, they just make me feel really special. They make me feel very loved. Uh, when I'm around them, they radiate goodness. Uh, why? Because it's coming from their attitude. It's coming from their spirit. It's put off in their eye contact. It's put off in their body language. It's put off in their words. It's put off in a sincerity, a genuineness about them. It is a goodness. Well, what is that goodness? Where did it come from? We are created in the image and likeness of God. And that goodness that comes out of anybody is coming from their creator, God. It's coming from them. It's coming because he made them. And that, that radiance, that goodness, sometimes it's almost 
visible. Sometimes it's almost tangible. Can I tell you with God, the goodness of his spirit is so great that it is tangible. It's something that can be seen. Turn over with me to Exodus chapter number 33. Uh, Here we find um, uh, Moses. He went up and he uh, got the Ten Commandments from the Lord. He came down out of the mountain and the children of Israel uh, were dancing around. The Israelites were dancing around a golden statue. They were doing so to rock music. They were doing so naked and um, uh, or at least dress very in, in, inappropriately. They were behaving as though they were lost. They were behaving as though they were back in Egypt. And God was brokenhearted over their idolatry and their sinful party life, their reveling. So Moses broke the Ten Commandments and uh, um, uh, God threatened to destroy the Israelites and start over with Moses. And Moses interceded on their behalf. And then God took Moses to the side And he got to a place of spiritual intimacy with Moses. This is the most intimate ever any human being ever was with God. Look at verse number, look at verse number 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee. This is Moses speaking. Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. Moses was so close to God. He wanted to know God. And that's what intimacy is. Intimacy is uh, the desire to know and to be known. The desire to know and to be known. And Moses says, God, I I know you on this level. I want to ratchet it up a notch. I want to know you a little bit more. Show me thy glory. Look at verse number 19. And he said, I will make all my, what's that next word? My goodness. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. What was God telling Moses here? If I show you my goodness or my glory. It will kill you. My goodness is so powerful that if I were to expose you to all my goodness, you would drop dead. Wow. How good is our God? So what happens? Verse number 21. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it came to pass while, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, that which is left over, but my face shall not be seen. God said, I'm going to put you inside a cave. I'm going to cover the cave with my hand and I'm going to come walking by and you'll get to see me as I'm departing. You'll get to see the back, but you will not get to see my face because that would kill you. Moses got to see the back of God, that glory, that goodness radiating off of God. And what happened? He came down out of the mountain And the Israelites saw him and his face glowed with the goodness of God. And they said, Moses, if we look at you, we're going to be blind. 
Put a bag, put a veil over your face because you are radiating uh, so brightly that it is blinding us. Where did that brightness come from? He saw firsthand the goodness of God. Wow. You see, as we get closer to God, the goodness of God becomes more and more and more evident in our lives. When we distance ourselves from God, boy, Satan begins to distort and change and hinder our ability to be able to see the goodness of God. Some of you here this morning, you may be questioning whether or not God is really good. Can I ask you a question? How's your walk with God been? You've been reading your Bible faithfully. And I don't just mean reading it with your eyes. Listen closely. I mean reading it with your heart. I'm not talking about going through the motions of reading three chapters a day and checking off some box and say you read your Bible through in a year. I'm not talking about reading a proverb of the day. I heard an evangelist one time say, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. <laughs> and while that might sound catchy, you know, we get into this place of shallow Bible reading. Where we're reading, but we're not really reading. Our mind is on the, the, the tasks ahead of us that day or the next day. And our eyes are going over words. And we're not really walking with God. You cannot know the goodness of God unless you're walking in the presence of God. And to the degree that you're walking with the creator of goodness... You'll understand his goodness. If your, if your idea of walking with God is going through the ritual of showing up to church on Sunday morning and that's it. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have any idea how good God is. And it's going to be hard for you to be good to people who are not good to you. If all you're doing is showing up to church once a week out of some habit. Your walk with God must be real. Your fellowship with God must be real. Can I tell you, the other Israelites in the camp, they didn't get to see the hinder parts of the glory and the goodness of God. Only Moses got to see that because Moses was the one who set himself apart, who said, God, I will walk with you. God, I will get to know you. God, I will be close to you. God, I will be intimate with you. And when I've reached the maximum that a human has ever walked with you, I'm going to ask for just a little bit more. And God said, okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. There's only one other person in the Bible, I believe, that ever experienced what Moses experienced here. And I believe that to be Stephen. The Bible says that when the council looked on Stephen in the New Testament, that his face uh, shined with the glory of God. I'm wondering if we get to heaven and find out that Stephen didn't have a similar experience to Moses here in Exodus 33. The creator of goodness. Number two, the conduct of of God's goodness, the conduct of God's goodness. You say, okay, it's good. God is good. That's ambiguous, pastor. That's, uh, that's broad. Uh, can you make it more narrow? Can you bring it in and make it personal? Well, I'm glad you asked letter a notice. It delivers from sin's bondage. It delivers from sin's bondage. Go back to Psalm 107 and look at verse number 16 with me. It says, for he hath broken the gates of brass 
and cut the bars of iron in sunder. I wish I had the lyrics in front of me, but there was a song that I heard years ago. And here was the idea of the song. If all that God ever did for me was save me, and then the rest of my life I lived accursed, I lived with nothing, I lived in poverty, I died of starvation, I had nothing good ever come to me the rest of my life. If all God ever did to me was save my soul, then God is still good. We don't measure the goodness of God based on the car we drive or the house we live in or whether or not we even live in a house. We don't, we don't measure the goodness of God on uh, our relationships or the health of our relationships or whether or not we even have a relationship. We don't measure the goodness of God on how many children we do or don't have. We don't measure the goodness of God on the longevity of the lives of the family uh, uh, that, that God has given us or the friends that God has given us. We measure the goodness of God by looking over our shoulder and seeing the cross of Calvary. Do you know that tonight there will be millions of people who will sleep out under the stars homeless? Is God more good to you than he is to them? Do you know tonight there will be thousands of children who have to skip a meal because they're hungry? Let me ask you a question. If you lost everything tomorrow, would your opinion of God's goodness change? You see, we, we can measure the goodness of God by the cross. By the cross. How much do you have to love somebody to be willing to kill your son to rescue them from the pit of hell? How good do you have to be to look at someone who you view as your enemy and say, I'm going to allow my child to die in their place? Let me put it in these terms. If you were on death row for a crime you had committed, and the laws of the land we lived in allowed me to take my son, my only son, my only begotten son, and send him to death row in your place, and you were to die, or rather he were to die and you were to walk free, would I need to do anything else for you the rest of your life for you to label me as good? Would I? You say, but, but in, in the example, let's say I'm a multi-multi-billionaire. You say, but you, you let me go homeless. You should have died on death row. You say, but you, you, had, you had the power to step in and heal a loved one of mine, and, and, and you, were, you didn't do it. You should have died on death row. I killed my son for you. Do I need to do anything else? There may be somebody in the room today that thinks that somehow they're getting into heaven based on their own goodness. And I promise you, you're evil compared to God. And God views you 
not by the good of your life, because anything good that comes out of you is only because you're created in his image and he put a little bit of goodness in you. But I promise you that even your goodness has been corrupted by a sin nature that Satan has placed in us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you're going to stand before a God one day who is so good and so perfect in every way that he's not going to judge you by the corrupt goodness of your life. He's going to judge you by the sin and evil of your life. And if you don't get rid of that evil, if you die in that sin, he will pick you up and he will have you thrown into hell. Why? Because he already killed his son on the cross to pardon you of those sins. And if you thumb your nose at that and you turn your back on that, my friend, why would he let you into heaven? The conduct of God's goodness. Well, how do we measure the goodness of God? Can I tell you, first of all, really, it's measureless. Can you put a price on your salvation? Boy, if I gave you, gave you Jeff Bezos' money or Bill Gates' money or Warren Buffett's money and you had it in the bank and I told you it's going to take every penny in order for you to make it into heaven, would you give it up? Boy, I would. What good's that money going to do me if I'm going to spend eternity in hell? There is no amount of money that can, that can measure up to what God did for you and he saved you. The goodness of God. Letter B, notice, not only does it deliver us from sin's bondage, letter B, it forgets our past blunders. It forgets our past blunders. Turn over to Psalm chapter 25 and verse 7. Psalm chapter 25, verse 7. I'm going to read as soon as I get there. The Bible says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, redeem thou me for thy goodness' sake O Lord, redeem me for thy goodness sake. Hey, God, take that goodness that you have and those sins I committed in my simple years, in my youth, those sins I committed in those foolish days of my life. Forgive me, not because I deserve it, but because of you are good. Turn over to Psalm um, 103, verse 12, Psalm 103 and verse number 12. I love, 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 love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. In the entire Bible, this is a a verse that has encouraged me many times when I have been beating myself up over uh, my sin and my sin habits and my sin struggles. Look at verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? If you were to start traveling east and keep traveling east, would you ever get to a place where you began to travel west? No, east never meets west. The Bible tells us that he's thrown them over his shoulder. He's buried them in the deepest sea. He has removed them as far from us as the east is from the west. Why has God forgiven us of our past sin? Why is he so quick and faithful to forgive us when we confess and forsake our sin? He doesn't do it because of anything that's within us. He does it because he is good. It is his character. It is his nature that every time as his child, I get on my knees and I say to him, I'm sorry for my sin. He reaches into his nature, his spirit of goodness. And he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. You ever had a time in your life where it was hard to forgive somebody? We've all been there, right? For God, it's instantaneous. You know why? Because his goodness is limitless. It's infinite. 
Letter A, we see it delivers from past bond, uh, sins bondages. Letter B, it forgets our past blunders. Letter C, it provides abundant blessings. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah would be to the left of Psalm. Um, and Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. If you're an Esther, keep going to the left. If you get to the book of Judges, you go to the right. Joshua, Ezra, Nehemiah. Joshua, Judges. Keep going, you get to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 9. And Nehemiah is the story of um, the captain uh, or the servant of God who came home from bondage and he helped rebuild the walls of of Jerusalem and uh, get them where they had safety again after their 70 years of captivity. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9 gives the sort of the history of Israel. And uh, here in this part of the story... Um, we see here God continuing to be good, even though the Israelites were failing. Look at verse, verse 25. And they took strong cities. Speaking of the Israelites coming into Canaan land with Joshua. Uh, they took strong cities in a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods. Wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So did they eat and were filled and became fat. I love that right there. That's justification for my waistline. Amen. Um, And delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Delighted themselves in thy great goodness. You know what this is meaning? What this is meaning is that the Israelites, they walked into the Canaan land and the the nation for them was turnkey ready. Turnkey ready. How many here like to buy fixer-upper type houses? Anybody? Fixer-upper type houses? How many like to buy them and everything's already been done? That's where I'm at, right? I know they cost a little more, but man, I like the paint to just still be drying on the wall and the flooring to be new. And uh, you walk in and boy, everything's just great. Turnkey ready. You know what the Israelites inherited when they walked into the promised land? A turnkey ready country with turnkey ready cities. Boy, most of them, their walls were still there. They got to walk in and take their pick of the houses that had already been built. There was still milk in the refrigerator. If you will, in some cases, there were clothes in the drawers and money in the drawers. Wow. They inherited a country that was ready to go. You know why? Because God was good to them. Now, Christian, if you'll take five minutes to stop shaking your fist at God for the hardships in your life, and you'll take a deep breath and you'll think real hard you'll begin to be able to see all of the goodness of God around you. Everybody take a deep breath. Some of you didn't do it because you're rebellious in your spirit. Amen. You know what? You know where you got that breath from? You got it from God. You know whose air that is you're breathing? That's his air. He gave that to you. How many of you here at least have a dollar in the bank? Would you raise your hand if you at least have a dollar in the bank or in your pocket? Who gave you that money? Some of you said, well, pastor, I only have 98 cents. Well, who gave you the 98 cents? <laughs> How many of you here know what it means to love and be loved? Would you raise your hand? You know who gave that love to you to give to others and that love that you've received? It's a gift from God. Oh, the world is filled with hurt. 
The world is filled with pain and it's cursed and even nature cries out to be healed. And we can focus on that. And we can see that and we can feel it. But there's a rival to that evil and that rival is greater than the evil. And that rival is God and he is good. And he pours down his blessings on us in abundance every single day. Number three, notice the causes of God's goodness. The causes of God's goodness. Let me list these off for you and run through them quickly. Letter A, notice our rejoicing. Turn back over to Psalm 107 where we began this morning. Psalm 107 and look with me at verse number 15. This verse here is found word for word in verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. I love this I love when God tells us to go be good and uh, give out goodness. And then there are chapters in the Bible that emphasize that trait. Look at verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Look at verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You know what happens when you stop and you focus on the goodness of God and you dwell on it and you count your blessings and you make a list and you see all the good things that's in your heart? Boy, you ought to stop for a moment and you ought to make you want to shout. It ought to make you want to rejoice. It ought to make you feel warm inside. It ought to make the back of the hair on the back of your neck stand up, you ought to just feel really good that God is good to you. You ought to rejoice. Some of you walk around and every other word coming out of your mouth, every other phrase coming out of your mouth is about how dark and gloomy the world is. Well, did you see what's going on in the news? Did you see what's going on on the other side of the world? Did you all oh, the gas prices just keep going up? And, oh, I just can't afford to pay these bills. And, oh, my car keeps breaking down. And, and oh, that pastor keeps changing things in the church building. And, all oh, this and all that. And complain, complain, complain. And take a moment and focus, folks, on the goodness of God. And let it well up in your heart. And step back and say... Let us praise the Lord. Let us rejoice. We focus on the negative life. We're going to be negative in our spirit. We focus on the goodness of God in our life and rejoicing will pour from our mouth. Our rejoicing. Let her be notice our riches. Our riches. A moment ago we read Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25. And you know what that verse really focused on? It focused on all of the good that the Israelites inherited when they walked into the promised land. And Nehemiah was saying, when they walked in the promised land, things were so good. I know I made the joke, but I'm serious about this, that their waistlines grew. You can tell the wealth of a country based on the waistline of the people that live in that country. And I'm not picking on anyone, I'm being serious. You know why America, America has an obesity problem? Because America is abundant in wealth. And again, I'm not picking on people. I'm making the point that we are rich. We are rich. If you live in the United States of America, I don't care if you're on government subsidies or not. By living here, you are rich. Some of you are focused on the, the bills you have to pay and you have debt collectors ringing your phone and you owe thousands of dollars to the credit card companies. And, and listen, I feel bad for you. I do. And I'm not putting you down. There have been times in my life where I have sat in that seat 
And I know what that's like. But by default, the fact that you live in the United States of America, you're rich. You're rich. And you know where that comes from? That comes from the goodness of God. Thank you very much. That comes from the goodness of God. Look at Psalm chapter 68 and verse number 10. Oh, I love this verse. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. Thou, O God, hast prepared thy goodness for the poor. God looks down on the poor and the troubled. And in his own way, and in his unique way with each person, he pours out his goodness on the poor. Let her see, notice our repentance. Our repentance. Turn over with me to Romans. Hold your place in Psalm. Turn with me over to Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Now, Romans 1, God lays out in the New Testament... Uh, the downward, the downward slope or the slippery slope into sin bondage and a reprobate mind. Romans two, he opens up by saying, don't you Christians get in your judgy mode. Look at verse four. Or despisest, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. As a parent and a disciplinarian, there are a couple of ways I can try to get someone get my children's attention. I can dangle them over the pit of punishment and threaten them. Sometimes that's needed as a parent. Sometimes it's necessary. Can I tell you what gets me more positive results, especially where my children are and their behavior and lot in life right now. When they struggle, I need to correct them. But then I need to show them my goodness. I need to show them the love of Christ. You know what I find is that when I am consistently good to my kids, they repent from the secret sins that are going on in the corners of their life. Let me just help you with this, Christian. If you will begin to focus on the goodness of God and make that a habit in your life, you're going to see how good God is. And it will drive you to turn your back on sinful habits and start living for God. Because you know what the truth is? It's really hard to to live uh, uh, in opposition to someone who's so good to you. It's really hard to do that. You're a bad, bad, bad person. If you can take the goodness of God and bask in it and enjoy it and notice it and give attention to it and then walk out and do the exact opposite of what he commands you to do. Boy, if you're doing that, shame on you. When you focus on the goodness of God, it drives you to a place where you want to repent from your evil deeds. You want to be more in line with that goodness, our repentance Letter D, notice our revitalizing. Some of you come in the door today and you're weary. You're weary in well-doing. You're struggling. Can I tell you that, um, Psalm 27 in your Bible, by the way. Can I tell you um, that God wants to revitalize you. He wants to renew you. 
Boy, we sang this one in church just a couple months ago. You have it there, Psalm 27, 13? I know we don't have a pianist, but can we try to sing this again? Let's do it. Ready? I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Some of you came in the door this morning and your your bottom lip is dragging the floor. Maybe not literally, but figuratively, your shoulders are stooped. Your heart is heavy. You're hurting. You're weary in well-doing. You're tired. The evil of this world is wearing you out. Can I tell you that if you wait on the Lord and be of good courage... That his goodness, his goodness will do a work in your heart. Here the psalmist says, I would have fainted. I would have passed out. I would have quit. I would have thrown in the towel. I would have given up on God. I would have dropped out of church. I would have had nothing else to do with my faith if I hadn't taken the time to stop and see the goodness of God's hand in my life. I would have given up. I would have stopped, but I stopped and I saw the goodness of God's hand. And I said, I need his hand to revitalize me. Christian, if you'll wait on the Lord and be of good courage, he'll strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart. The causes of God's goodness. One more here, letter E, our reverence. Our reverence. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah comes after the book of Isaiah, one of our major prophets. The only reason why it's called a major prophet is because it's a long book. (laughs) Jeremiah 31. Someone said, what's the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? And I tell people, the major prophets were taller than the minor prophets. (laughs) That is not true, okay? Um, At least I don't think it is. They uh, they all carry the same value. Just some were uh, more long-winded than others. If I had lived in the Old Testament, I would have been a major prophet. Jeremiah 31, 14. Some of you got that joke. Others of you will sink in later. Verse 14. And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. I will satiate. That word satiate means to be so Filled with goodness that you're full and overflowing. Almost to the point where you're sick of it. You ever been to a buffet and eaten so much that the thought of food was like, oh, one more bite. You go to Outback and you stuff your face and you get home and you sit on the couch and you turn on the TV and there's a commercial of a steak. And you're like, oh, it was good, but it's too much. 
The Bible says God is going to fill you up with so much goodness that you'll almost be to the point of, I can't take anymore. Turn over just a, a page or two to chapter 33 and verse 9. Chapter 33 and verse 9. It says, and it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear and tremble. There's the reverence for all thy goodness and for all the prosperity thy procure unto it. Hey, other people who are not you Israelites are going to look and see how prosperous you are. They're going to know it was me that prospered you. And they're going to look at me with fear and reverence. They're going to revere me because of how good I've been to you. Psalm chapter 31 and verse number 19. Psalm 31 and verse number 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, that reverence thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Our reverence, our reverence. Number one, this morning, we looked at the creator of goodness. Number two, the conduct of God's goodness. Number three, the causes of God's goodness. Let's turn our attention and look at us for a few moments this morning and notice number four, our callousness. Toward God's goodness, our callousness toward God's goodness. Notice letter A, we lose focus. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 6. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 6. Okay, men, males. The author of Proverbs is about to take a shot at us. You ready for this? Here it is. Verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. All right, ladies that are married, you have your husband next to you. How many of you, when your husband cuts the lawn or washes the dishes, he comes in and he tells you that he cut the lawn or that he washed the dishes? Raise your hand, ladies. You know why? My wife's hand ought to be up. You know, what's really funny about that is my wife will wash dishes all day, every day. Once or twice a month, I'll go in the kitchen and I'll wash the dishes for her. And uh, if she doesn't notice it, after about an hour, I'll go to her and I'll say, hey, honey. Wash the dishes for you. And she pats me on the back and says, good job. I do that all day, every day. Most men will proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man, who can find? You know what the point being driven home here is that we focus on our own goodness and we lose sight of God's goodness. You show me a Christian man or woman who can last decades in the faith. And be faithful and press on the upward way and grow and go and be sanctified. I'll show you someone who's not focused on their goodness. They're focused on God's goodness. God's goodness. You show me someone who falls out of church, becomes embittered toward God or just distracted by life. I'll show you someone who quit focusing on the goodness of God a long time ago. And then we become familiar with God's goodness. And you know what happens 
Familiarity breeds contempt. Let her be noticed. We become forgetful. We become forgetful. Go back over to Numbers chapter 9. Now, we looked at verse 25 a few minutes ago. I want us to look at Numbers chapter 9. Or we didn't actually. Nehemiah. I get, well, let me look here because I put down numbers. It may be Nehemiah. I'll tell you when I get there. You know what's going to happen when I get to heaven? I won't make these mistakes anymore. Nehemiah, Numbers. It's Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. I put down the wrong thing in my Bible and on the screen. No, it's right on the screen. It's wrong in my notes. Did you fix it, Brother Joe? Brother Joe ought to just write my sermons for me because he's good like that. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 35. Now I need you to quickly fix everybody's bulletins. Can you do that? (laughs) Look at verse 35. For they have not served thee in their kingdom and in thy great goodness... That thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. They were given this turnkey ready country. Cities built, walls there, everything's good to go, clothes in the closets, food in the refrigerator, money in the drawer, boy, uh, uh, a bank account set up. They walked in, they inherited their country, they're good to go. They take a moment and realize that it's God that was good. I believe that generation, Joshua tells us, uh, 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 revered God and honored God and, and, and gave God the credit for his goodness. But Judges chapter 1 says, there, there rose up a nation who knew not God. They forgot. They forgot. Why is it we become callous toward God's goodness? Well, we've lost focus of it, and then we just flat out forget how good God is. We forget how good God is. Number five, notice our call to share God's goodness. Our call to share God's goodness. Christian, it is not, please hear me. Please, please, please listen. Please, I beg you, I implore you, hear what I'm about to say. It is selfish of you to bask and enjoy and roll around in the goodness of God and not share it with others. Selfish. You get that pay raise at work and you don't know how to help someone who's homeless. God's given you an easier path than others, and you don't know how to turn around and take that goodness that he's given you and help the world around you? You become mean and skeptical and nasty at everyone who doesn't dot their I's and cross their T's exactly the same way you do? Shame on you. Letter A, notice our filling, our filling. Now, this goes back to the Spirit of God indwelling us, and one of those attributes being goodness. Last Sunday morning, we said that the three on that list, the three of the nine, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, is our character toward our fellow man. And we are to give that goodness out to others. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 14. The Bible tells us, Here it says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge, with all knowledge, uh, with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another, able also to admonish one another, filled with goodness. 
You know how this is supposed to work is every morning you get up and you read your Bible and you pray and you walk with the Lord and you you spend time with him and you spend time noticing the goodness of God in your life. And it's like sticking a cup under a running faucet and that faucet fills up your cup to a place where your cup just can't handle anymore. And it just comes overflowing out of the cup and spilling on anything and everything around it. And God says, as you get in under my goodness and you focus on it and you enjoy it, it fills you up to a place where you're full and you're overflowing on others around you. And you get next to someone who's nasty and mean and unkind on the subway or the Metro North, or you get next to someone who is mean and rude at the grocery store or cut you off in traffic. And instead of just telling them how terrible they are, you smile and you look at them and you show them the love of God and the goodness of God. Instead of honking at them, you pray for them. Instead of speeding up and beating them to the light, you just give them the right of way. Instead of getting in a fight with the cashier or the person in front of you at the grocery store and returning evil for evil. Now, by the way, I'm not advocating Christians lay down and be pushovers. But you be gracious and kind in your firmness. Let her be our fruit. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. It ought to be a fruit on the tree of our life. One more verse, Ephesians Chapter 5 and verse 9. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. But the fruit of the Spirit. Can we read this verse together? You all there? Let's begin at the beginning here. Ready? Read it out loud. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We live rightly. We let God's truth direct our life. And we are good to the world around us. We're good to the world around us. As it radiated off of Christ, rather off of God the Father. And Moses saw it and it changed the countenance of his face. May the goodness of God, may we dwell under it, may we bask in it, and may we share it to the world around us. Christian, is God's goodness noticed in your life? Are you sharing it with the world around you? Or are you called up and embittered at life? We went over that list a few minutes ago of all the things that God's goodness does. Some of you need to be revitalized in it. Will you get in the presence of God and let it heal you? Let it refresh you. Lord, we ask this morning that you help us as we reset our focus. As we rejoice in how good you are. Sometimes God evil comes our way and it just kicks us in the mouth really hard and it hurts. When we lose focus, we forget. Those things are not your fault. You're still there to win and Lord, one day good will ultimately triumph over evil. Lord, in this auditorium right now, there are many, many hurting people. There are many people that are emotionally bleeding. They need your goodness to be poured all over their open womb like a healing balm. 
Lord, your goodness is flowing. It's just a question of whether or not we're going to put ourselves under it. Those that have retracted and pulled away from you, help them to run into your arms. Help them to know your love. Lord, may bitter spirits be set to the side. May grudges against you be taken away. And then, Lord, help us to turn around and give that goodness to a world that's hurting. Do something special during this invitation. Help mindsets and attitudes to change. Help a determination to walk with you with all of our heart to be renewed in Jesus' name.